This podcast is sponsored by B. Braun Medical Incorporated and Central Admixture Pharmacy Services Incorporated, leaders in customized parenteral nutrition. For more information on the Clinical Nutrition 360 Nutrition Admixing Solution, visit bbraunusa.com and capspharmacy.com. Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Fraser. Today I'll be speaking with Monty Mythen, MD, about the article Trial of the Root of Early Nutritional Support in Critically Ill Adults, also known as the Calories Trial, published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2014. Monty is the Smiths Medical Professor of Anesthesia and Critical Care at the University Colleges of London and an elected council member of the Royal College of Anesthetists. Monty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. A number of papers that were conducted prior to the turn of the century compared parental nutrition with enteral nutrition and concluded that parental nutrition probably led to worse outcomes, particularly with respect to infectious complications. But it now seems that the relevance of these papers are being questioned. Can you tell me why these papers are now being questioned? Well, I think there's two things to touch on there. One is certainly by our evaluation of the literature is that there was not a consistent signal with regards to parenteral or enteral one uh, route clearly offering benefit except your comment about the infectious complications but by our evaluation of the literature and a meta-analysis of that we did not think that was a clear-cut signal. I don't think there was anything wrong with any of the trials beforehand but I don't think any of them specifically addressed this question of the root of administration of nutrition in early feeding. So I think you know, what we were trying to do here was purely address that root question. So the, the question that your paper seems to be addressing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears that it's asking the question whether early TPN or early EN would be better with um, the current challenges of, of TPN or it challenges the current perception of TPN as being EN replacement therapy. What's the rationale for testing this question? Well, EN, I think, in our system was considered a standard of care. As you say, PN would be an alternative if EN was failing. But if one takes a careful look at the literature, up until the point of us completing calories, I think there was equipoise overall with regards to whether we were clear as to whether there was superiority of one route compared to another for early enteral nutrition. So we actually did the trial in response to a call from one of our national funding agencies with which their conclusion was that feeding critically ill patients is very important but there was no clear message from the literature as to whether there was superiority of one route compared to another. Certainly the perception was that enteral seemed to be superior in some way, whether it was ease or overall effectiveness or whether it was avoidance of certain complications. But by their evaluation and our evaluation from meta-analysis, we could not verify that from the existing literature. So, so we responded to that call and were lucky enough to win the bid and that's why we went ahead and, and did the trial. Is there a, a rational basis for TPN potentially improving outcomes compared with AN? Well, I think the reason that traditionally we would have turned to TPN would have been this feeling that we're guaranteeing the delivery of the nutrients into the body, the fact that you are you know, putting it directly into a, into a vein. 
means that you're avoiding any of the problems that you may have from the point of view of absorption from the GI tract. There's a, a slew of counter-arguments to that as well, it being perceived as being an unnatural way of delivering food, you're not, you're not giving it via the portal system, there may be fringe benefits from what may happen with gut-associated lymphoid tissue, etc. All very familiar, largely hypothetical discussions over the years. So we just simply responded to the, let's at least address the root question so that we can free up the opportunity to address other unanswered questions regarding timing, dosage, feeding complications, constituents, etc., etc. Monty, this study was, of course, published just recently in the New England Journal of Medicine. Can you tell our listeners about the study itself, how you went about it? Well, it's a pragmatic, randomized trial. It's not blinded because it's very difficult, and we, we deemed it to be not logistically possible to blind the study, but it's a randomized trial involving adults admitted to one of 33 English intensive care units, and then we randomly assigned those, assigned those to be fed either via the parenteral or enteral route, we, we set a caloric target, uh, which I'm sure we'll come back to in discussion, and we wanted it to be initiated within 36 hours and then to persist in that route of feeding for the first five days with no possibility of crossover, but we would allow the enteral or parenteral feeding to stop if the patient started uh, eating normally. And the primary outcome was all-cause mortality at 30 days, and then there are secondary outcomes which include 90-day mortality, one-year follow-up, and all of the other variables that you would anticipate of a trial of this kind. And there will follow as well a health economic evaluation, which will, which will take a little more time to deliver. And what were the results that you found at the end of the study? Well, for the primary outcome variable, we found no statistically significant difference, and I would suggest clinical difference, in 30-day mortality. So it was 33.1% in the parental group and 34.2% in the enteral group. We did find some statistically significant differences in secondary outcome variables. So the rates of hypoglycemia, for example, for serious hypoglycemic events, they were more common in patients who are enterally fed, and as was the incidence of vomiting was more common in patients who were enterally fed. Or to put that another way, both hypoglycemia and vomiting incidents were statistically significantly lower in patients who were parenterally fed. And our feeling was that had, uh, had face validity, that was reassuring to a certain extent, that as one might anticipate with the direct delivery of feed compared to the use of the GI tract, that um, the incidence of hypoglycemia and vomiting might be different, and indeed they were statistically significantly different. Some observers have suggested that the powering of this study may have led to the equivalence of the two arms of the study. You powered the study to detect a relative risk reduction of 20% in the context of other studies which have not really shown a difference in mortality up till now. Is that a reasonable comment, do you think? Well, we, we based the power analysis on our own meta-analysis that's included in the appendix of the paper and was um, included in the grant application. So it is rather an optimistic, as has been suggested, you know, an optimistic view that parenteral nutrition may reduce mortality relatively by 20%, which is an absolute reduction of, of around 6 or so percent. But it was based on that meta-analysis. Now, now, we didn't take a worst-case scenario. As I said, that's a very optimistic view. 
And um, I think if we had found differences suggesting the fact that uh, it might be worth doing a further follow-up of a much larger study, then we would be prepared for that challenge. But like always in studies, you, you, have, to, you have to start with a well-informed initial position. And we were able to base our mortality estimates on our own national large data sets, and they turned out to be very accurate predictions. And then the mortality prediction based on a meta-analysis although taking quite a, an optimistic view of the impacts. But we feel confident that we've answered the question. You mentioned earlier that the trial is a pragmatic one, and many listeners may not have heard that term or understand it completely, or what the strengths and limitations of that sort of study are. Can you explain what that means? Well, pragmatic means, we think, means real life. So as much as possible, you look at, uh, in the context of routine practices and routine care, so we're, we're looking at the effectiveness of the intervention. We hope that they're real-life conditions. Uh, we're looking for benefit in routine clinical practice. And therefore, we don't stipulate or dictate absolutely the products or the protocols. But we do give broad ranges and require the units to have protocols and use of common products of a range. That means that we can um, be reasonably confident that we are comparing routine practice. So everyone was allowed to choose from a range of both uh, feeding products, for example. And we hope that's as real life with representative of our system as we can achieve. So the benefits are clearly that you're able to apply the results of the study in a more generalizable way. Yeah. Are there any limitations to doing that? Well, if one is interested in, for example, the relative contribution of micronutrients or a particular type of um, lipid that may be in a particular type of parenteral nutrition, it will not address those efficacy issues or safety issues. It will only answer the question posed in a pragmatic fashion. So there are many potential unanswered questions aside from pragmatically within our system and the way the trial was conducted, we did not find a difference in the route from the point of view of the 30-day mortality. Monty, one of the, the most interesting things from this study for me was the inability to reach the target nutritional goal in both arms of the study, which seemed to defy the, the original suggestion that TPN might be a more reliable method for delivering nutrients in critically ill patients. Firstly, was it a surprise to you? And secondly, were you able to determine the reasons for why this might have been the case? Yeah, we were surprised. We also were suspicious that, or we thought we would find that the patients receiving parenteral nutrition uh, would receive a larger dose for all the, the reasons we've discussed so far. One would think that the guaranteed route would produce a larger total dose. We were relieved in one way that it at least eliminated that, you know, people coming back to you to saying, well, the reason you have or haven't found a particular result is because the dose is very different. That leads us then to the excellent question as to why, and we have not yet decided what our secondary analyses, our you know, further exploration of the data which would include hypothesis generation will be, but that I would anticipate that that particular question would be very high on the list. We will come back to that when we finish the trial because we've got a one-year follow-up to do and we've got a health economic evaluation that needs to be completed. But we plan to meet next year to prioritise our list of possible secondary analyses that would lead to hypothesis generation. And, and as I said, I think this would be very high on the list. 
Proponents of both sides of this debate will more than likely claim victory from this study, I suspect. How do you personally interpret these results? What do we take away from this, do you think? Well, I, I take from it that within our system, with all the caveats of how we may or may not have looked after our central lines and how we may or may not conduct both enteral and parenteral feeding, is the route does not seem to be a major determinant of outcome in terms of 30-day mortality. So I think that a clinician, in the broadest sense at the bedside, could choose either route than to be informed by the likelihood of complications and the relative cost. Now, they may, for example, say that there are a certain subset of patients where they don't think the placement of a, a nasogastric tube is in their best interest in a patient who is conscious, for example, and struggling to breathe. They might turn around and say, well, I don't think a nasogastric tube is going to be very nice for that person, but I do think they need to be fed. I'm going to choose the parenteral route informed by the results of this study. Now, they, they may have a different view on that when the health economic evaluation is completed, but as we stand at the moment, I think either of those routes are reasonable if one chooses to feed a critically ill patient. Some observers have suggested that the question that we really need answered is whether TPN is effective in the group that can't tolerate enteral nutrition. And this study may not answer that question because they're potentially different populations. Is that a reasonable comment and do you think that this needs to be done again in that sort of context? I agree. I think there are many unanswered questions. So I, I think that we can think of a, a good list with regards to timing, dosage, you know, what's in the feed, how we target it, bespoke feeding, targeted feeding. But at least I think our contribution has been that you can begin to answer those thinking that the root issue has been dealt with. Wonderful. Thank you very much and congratulations again to your group on uh, the successful completion of this trial and its publication. Thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. This concludes another edition of the Eye Critical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash eyecriticalcare for more information. For the Eye Critical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Todd Fraser. This podcast is sponsored by B. Braun Medical Incorporated and Central Admixture Pharmacy Services Incorporated, leaders in customized parenteral nutrition. For more information on the Clinical Nutrition 360 Nutrition Admixing Solution, visit bbraunusa.com and capspharmacy.com. Todd Fraser, MD, is an intensivist and retrieval physician based on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland, Australia. Dr. Fraser completed his undergraduate training in Melbourne before undertaking specialist training in hospitals in Geelong and Sydney. His specialist career has included time as a director of intensive care at Mackay Base Hospital in Queensland, regional director of training for Care Flight Medical Services, and as a staff intensivist and flight physician. Dr. Fraser has extensive experience in critical care education, including simulation, web-based training tools, examination preparation courses, and instructional video. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, 
or ideas, please email icriticalcare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.